Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. This week, we're focusing on the global bond market. With high inflation and interest rates rising around the globe, not to mention the prospect of recession, it's been tough for bonds. But th- could there be opportunities soon? In this very educational podcast, Dickie Hodgins, manager of Nomura Global Dynamic Bond, explains exactly what is happening. I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Caliber, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, um, this morning, we had the fifth consecutive interest rate rise from the Bank of England, and they are signaling inflation of 11% in October. So who better to be joined by than our pal Richard Dickey Hodges, manager of the Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund. Dickey, a um, lot going on out there. It's been a choppy, choppy day, choppy week, uh, choppy year in markets, um, both bond and equities. Normally, if we get recessions, the stock market comes first. It tells you that it's coming. There's this wobble. Where does the bond market sit with that? Is that something that leads the equity market? What does what a bond market tell us today? Broad question. All right. Well, th- thank you for inviting me, Darius, first of all. So if we look to see what bond market has, where it's come from, is the important part. We now see long-term 30-year bond yields north of 2.5%. We've got a 16% negative return year to date on not only the UK bond market, we've got index-linked gilts, the inflation-immunised products that are returned minus 22% year to date. So one's got to ask us the question is, why are these returns so negative? And it's all, as you suggested, down to the level of inflation. What is the appropriate level of Bank of England official rates for the level of inflation to contain that growing inflation, as you suggested? Today, it is 9% plus. It is forecast to go closer to 11%. Yet we only have short-term interest rates in the UK at 1% to 1.25%. So you've got to say that from that perspective, uh, inflation is not rolling over sufficiently quick enough. We still have all the problems and the reasons why inflation is at these levels to begin with. That's the supply chain issues, uh, the Russia conflict uh, with Ukraine, uh, the fact that China and other broad European, uh, sorry, Asian are still in lockdown. So the fact is that we are going to, for the foreseeable future, see elevated levels of inflation. Under those terms, short-term interest rates have to go higher, and therefore uh, one would suggest that long-term bond yields will also have to go higher. The fact of the matter is we are closer to the point of a recession, and we're not just talking about a recession in the UK. We're talking about a recession in the US and most definitely within Europe. So we've still got further to go, unfortunately. So there's a couple of interesting points there. So for the layman, I understand bonds are down, right? Inflation's up, rates are going up, bonds go down. It's a fairly inverse relationship. Why are inflation-linked bonds down, given inflation is so high? I mean, to, the, to, to, to our listeners, you know, I don't understand that. I would have thought linkers had to be up. Well, very much this is the issue. Uh, Index-linked gilts are a financial debt obligation that is linked to the level of inflation. 
Unfortunately, index-linked uh, uh, guilts also have what is known as a very long duration. A uh, longer long duration, longer-dated bonds, a longer duration means they have more sensitivity to changes in bond yields. Uh, so if bond yields go higher, the longer the maturity means the greater fall in cash prices. So even though these index-linked gilts have benefited from a higher measure of inflation, the fact is that long-term bond yields have gone higher. These are longer-dated assets, so the fall in price is considerably higher, which is, again, why I said we've seen minus 22% out of inflation-immunized index-linked gilts and only minus 16% out of conventional bonds. And it is the fact that uh, traditional index-linked gilts have longer maturity, longer duration, and therefore have been more sensitive and, and, and underperformed greater for that reason. Absolutely. It's to, to do with the structure of the pension fund industry. We're trying to, the government was issuing longer dated assets to meet the liabilities, liabilities that yeah. have been growing in maturity as well as demographics and health and we live longer. So therefore, those sort of securities are much longer in maturity, much more sensitive to changes in interest rates. And if interest rates go up, then unfortunately, as we've seen this year, the price of these assets goes down. So as at today, we've had five consecutive months where interest rates have gone up in the UK. The Fed, which is the US equivalent of the Bank of England, were behind the UK in raising, but then went and slapped a full three quarters of 1% on the table for US rate rises. Are we nearer the end or how do you see the rest of 2022 playing out with respect to rate rises and then into bonds and what we might expect from bond returns? Because anything that's down 16%, is it a buying time? Is now the time to bang the, bang the, bang the desk? I, I think arguably, for obvious reasons, we're closer because interest rates have already moved to go higher. We therefore must be closer to what is referred to as the terminal rate of interest rates. You mentioned about the US and putting up interest rates by three quarters of 1%. Yeah. This is the largest interest rate rise that we've seen for a considerable time out of the US. Yeah. The probability is that we will see another three quarters of a 1%. Uh, Chairman Powell, uh, the governor of the FRMC, which is the Federal Open Market Committee, the governor of the, uh, the US Bank, told us that we shouldn't expect three quarters of 1% hiking rates to be normal, but the next rate we sh- rate hike we should expect between 50 and three quarters of a 1%. At the same time, the terminal rate that the market expects, this is where interest where rates end up. Stop, where we'll end up, has gone higher. So we are now expecting the terminal rate on US bond, uh, US interest rates to move from something like two and a half percent closer to three and a quarter percent. So arguably we've got more rate rises coming. We have a higher measure of inflation, which is prompting this activity. The Federal Reserve coming from what we refer to in the industry as being behind the curve, yeah. meaning too slow, yeah. not addressed the inflation issue, to moving rapidly up to the curve, which is putting up interest rates at an appropriate measure to try and stem the rise in inflation. 
how will they do this? Well, the higher level of interest rates go, the higher level of mortgage rates go. Mortgage rates in the US now are at a, a, a high, the highest level they've been since 1987. They're currently just short of 6%. So the cost of servicing debt and mortgages has increased significantly. At the same time, the US uh, consumers are borrowing more money on credit card and commercial loans than at any single point in history. And as a, as a consequence of this, the saving rate in the US is at the lowest rate it has ever been. So if you were to actually have a look at a chart, imagine borrowing has gone as a near vertical line going upwards and savings is a near vertical line going downwards. That can only lead to one thing, uh, uh, and that is you'll see a drawdown in consumption. Costs go up, less disposable income. The Fed still have to address this issue. And the, the way they'll do this is to actually push the US in, uh, economy into, into a recession. It is the only way that they can realistically uh, address the issue of the escalation in inflation. And arguably, the same should have, uh, will uh, infer is the same issue will be for the UK. So what's that terminal rate then in the UK? Or is that something that's not... Well, this is the biggest biggest debate that we're having. Uh, The fact of the matter is, one of the the only asset that has gone up in value this year, as we know, equity markets have got negative returns global. In fact, the UK is better positioned with less negative returns than anywhere else in the world. The only asset that's gone up and has a double-digit positive return year to date is that of the UK housing market. We're all facing greater utility bills, less disposable income. The fact of the matter is, if uh, we've borrowed, you've seen home equity withdrawal. You know, this is a a factor globally, money being taken out against property valuations. We feel more comfortable because the value of our house has gone up 10%. What happens if the value of the house goes down 10%? Not only have we got increased bills, you know, we, we would also facing less disposable income, less confidence. Well, the consumer spends less. That's this is very true. At the moment, the one thing which you can see is probably a, a good thing from the UK economy or traditionally would be viewed is as we knew, as we see on the news, there are more jobs than there are people to fill those vacancies. That unfortunately is not sufficient enough to stop the UK economy from slowing. So all of these reasons are understood by the Bank of England. Uh, And so the fact of the matter is they're they're reticent to move interest rates as aggressively higher uh, as we've seen elsewhere, not just the US, but emerging economies. And even uh, the Swiss National Bank surprised with a half a percent. Today, a complete surprise out of the blue. They raised interest rates by a half of one percent today. This took capital markets, both equity and debt capital markets, by complete surprise and resulted in significant falls today. Yeah. So we've touched quite a lot then on the UK and uh, US, which have had two rate rises in the last 24 hours. Can can we make money anywhere on the globe? What what, what are we doing? I know you're a truly global, as in the name of the fund, but you actually are truly global and want to touch on uh, Russia right at the end. But it doesn't look good for Europe either, does it? Where, where, where do we go to make it? Europe is a given that it's going into recession. And in fact, the more recent news from the European Central Bank is concerns over what they refer to as fragmentation. What is fragmentation? 
if you think German government bonds, which are the equivalent of UK gilts, yep. uh, and then you think of other European economies, so the develop the, the core European economies, Netherlands, Germany, France, these sort of northern European, and then you've got the peripheral economies, yep. Spain, Italy. Italy, Greece. Borrowing costs in Italy and, and Greece have doubled easily doubled. It was only a, a year ago that 30-year interest rates, borrowing for Italy over 30, 30 That's years. That's Italian government. Italian government. Government bonds, not companies. Yes, Italian government bonds. A year ago, it was 2%. Today, it is above 4%. So you've got German government debt significantly lower. That means in yield, that means that it's easier for Germany to finance their borrowing requirements. It's significantly difficult for Italy, and that in itself will put strains on the Italian economy, the strains on the single currency. So the European Central Bank... 2011, 2013 again. This is the issue. This is recognised by the European Central Bank. So they're trying to come to a solution. But the fact of the matter is Europe is absolutely facing a recession. It will be, it will become, it will be evident. It's already evident from the numbers that we see. A sharp contraction will come in the final quarter of this year. So the fact of the matter is we are going into a technical recession in Germany, and Germany is the stalwart of the European economy. If we're having a recession in Germany, well, where else is European, Europe going to go? So the fact of the matter is that we're facing issues across all capital markets. How do you generate returns in an environment, what we know as, we, we're now understanding, stagflation. This is a falling economy, negative economic growth with rising inflation. The problem with this is it's very difficult to value an asset or an asset class. If you don't know how high interest rates are going to go, yeah. how do you know? How can you discount? You know, one of the measures of valuing a cash flow of a company the is rate. the discount rate. Yeah. If you don't know what that discount rate is going to be, how can you value the company today? If you can't value their cash flow, how can you value their equity? And if you can't value the equity, how can you value the equity market? So this is the issue that's facing us. We are going into a recession. This is going to put strains on it. But you've got to think from another side of this. This is the best opportunity that we have seen for quite some time to generate returns in 2023 and 2024 out of fixed income asset classes. One would argue that equity market will still be showing some signs of stress because we are going into a recession. The key on everything is when we are told by central banks that they have finished raising interest rates. At that point, we all know what the terminal rate is. We will have confidence that interest rates aren't going to go up any further. We can value an asset. And from that moment on, and, and let's face it, assets are significantly cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, as we know... Significantly cheaper than today. I mean, I look at, I look at some global growth funds and they're already down 50%. Uh, well, um, this is true, but there's no, it might not be that they're cheaper than today, but there's no reason why they should go up tomorrow. Yeah. You need a reason for things to start confidence in investors' confidence and behaviour. The problem is with investment from a behaviour perspective. If an asset halves in value, it looks significantly more attractive for obvious reasons from an investment perspective. So we tend to invest and in, invest bits of money, part of our investment. 
What we've experienced, though, these assets have, have dropped in value with invested. They've dropped in value again with invested. The more that asset classes fall in value, the less comfortable we are with investing again in the future. Yeah. And at some point, this is where we reach this. This uh, uh, makes all the pain, I suppose. This is very true. Uh, having a, a known level of Bank of England base rates allows us to then draw a line to value assets. And if indeed asset classes have moved down 16, 20% under that reason, you've got a better probability that you're going to deliver those sort of positive re, uh, returns in subsequent future years. So how, and I know you said it's very difficult in stagflationary times. What have you done in the global dynamic bond fund that you run at the moment? I want to touch on valuations right at the end because I know there's a, a segue to Russia. Yeah. But how are you positioned? I mean, I don't know every line, but what are the headline rate can you do? I mean, yeah, well, I, first and foremost, it's very difficult for any fund. And one of the obligations of funds is not only to deliver a total return. What is a total return? It's a return out of capital and income. Yeah. Absolutely. The only way that you would have returned anything other than a negative return is if you had 100% cash this year and you were paying no distribution. Yeah. Uh, that is the only way that we would have seen uh, 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 anything delivering a positive return. I looked across all asset classes within fixed income uh, and every single fixed income asset class, with the exception of Chinese government bonds, has delivered a negative return this year. So first and foremost, it has been exceptionally difficult to, to pay a distribution and not have negative returns. We can see this against all types of fixed income funds, whether it be a UK government fund, which is perceived to be safe because it's double A rated, uh, to UK corporate funds and to high yield funds, all of them double digit negative returns. We ourselves have suffered double digit negative returns. We'll discuss the final point, yep. one of the positives for the future. But the fact of the matter is it's been exceptionally difficult to immunise against every uh, against changes in interest rates and inflation. And why is this? Because everything is correlated. Typically, when equity markets fall, government bond markets go up and give you a positive return. Unfortunately, as everything's correlated, because the, the cost of financing leverage has gone up, i.e. interest rates have gone up, everything is correlated. You've seen equity markets fall. You've seen bond market prices fall at the same time. It's very unusual. And the, and the driver of this is the elevated levels of inflation, the likes we haven't seen in 30-odd years, uh, and the fact is the uncertainty on how much further interest rates will go. All of those will become apparent as we move forward to the end of this year. Uh, so I think there is some opportunity, but the real opportunity to deliver these sort of double-digit returns out of things like UK government debt, UK corporate debt, more government uh, is uh, in 2023. But the fact of the matter is, we're still going to be facing issues of increased volatility, higher interest rates, and, in, and persistent inflation. Inflation will roll over without a shadow of a doubt. By the end of this year, inflation will be lower than where it is today and where it's projected to go tomorrow. But by the end of the year, the realisation that we are moving into recession, the interest rates are not going to go as high as people are concerned, will mean that you should see government bond yields moving lower. And with lower bond yields, you get higher prices and a positive return. 
But that's absolutely fantastic. So maybe a fraction more pain and then uh, loads of gain in 2023. Pretty much, that's the, that's the summary of it all. So look, I've known you a long time. I've known you are a truly global investor. Uh, I know in the last number of years, you've made money out of Egypt and peripheral Europe, where you've just found extraordinarily good value for the risk of, of owning such assets. But we did have a little bit in Russia earlier in the year. Just uh, tell us briefly how that impacted on the fund and what the potential for recovery is on those assets. Yeah, well, first and foremost, we don't condone what Russia's been doing with Ukraine. We find this as horrific uh, as everybody else does. We've been invested in Russia for the last three years for all the reasons why. Russia is oil. Russia is gas. Russia is gold. Russia's government domestic debt was something like 25% of GDP. It was a fraction of the debt outstanding in majority of other global on global countries. So the fact is there was every reason why you would want to invest in Russia. Default probability was extremely low because they're basically oil and gold. Uh, uh, So the fact of the matter is there's every reason and we've generated some good returns out of having exposure to Russian sovereign government, local currency debt. The fact of the matter is, like everybody else, we found it highly surprising that Russia actually, first and foremost, recognised the separatist regions of Donbass and Luhansk, uh, which was a prelude to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, as a result of that, the Central Bank of Russia imposed restrictions on international accounts from transacting anything in their domestic sovereign debt and also stopped the receipt of coupons that were due, dividends, the coupons they were due on that debt. Those coupons are being paid, but they're being paid into a domestic Russian account. So they haven't disappeared. We just don't have access to it. Do you expect you will? Absolutely. Uh, also, the fact is the debt within the fund we marked, because it's, we don't, it's no, no value, it's you can't trade it, it's worthless. Well, we marked it down to zero. At some stage, once the Central Bank of Russia removes those restrictions, uh, this debt will have a will have some value. Will have a lot of value. Uh, the fa- at which point we will look to exit our exposure to them. But the amount of value that they have is 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 fairly considerable. Bond prices have gone up domestically. Russia are cutting interest rates. You cut interest, and Russia last month negative inflation print. The only place in the world where there's a negative inflation print. Dickie, on that note, I think that's been an excellent roundup. Um, so much happening in equities, but particularly with rates and bonds. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, if you'd like more in- information on the Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund, please do visit fundcaliber.com and please do subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. But for me, in summary, it has been a tough year for fixed income with rates very much telegraphed to rise. The second half will be challenging as well. But when those rates rise, actually there are decent yields on bonds. It could well be a surprise asset class for 2023.
The Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund is an unconstrained strategic bond fund with a focus on global returns. Dickey invests in the entire range of bond sectors, including government bonds, corporate bonds, emerging market bonds, and inflation-linked bonds. To learn more about the Nomura Global Dynamic Bond Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we'll be discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. 